I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he, it, he it, is a, it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this by this is my father, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to me so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. You guys can have a seat. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. How are you? Good, good. 11 o'clock, lively. Thanks, Lindsay, for that. Uh, and, and yes, Bible Adventure Camp is going to be an amazing Crazy week. Uh, there's going to be well over 100 kids, maybe 200 kids uh, in this building. And so if we don't get volunteers, uh, we're all going to die. Um, and so uh, make sure you stop out there and sign up for that because it is going to be, as Lindsay said, it's going to be a lot of fun. But it's also just going to be, man, we want these kids to experience the goodness and the graciousness and the sweetness of Jesus and learn that, man, he has, he's a call. There's a call in their life from a young age, right? That's what this Making Waves theme is all about. And, um, and we get to be a part of that. And so so this morning we're continuing in this uh, series, Citizens of the Gospel, right? And coming out of Easter, if you've been with us, if you've been tracking with us, you, you know this. We're in this season known as Eastertide, right? Um, and may, maybe you grew up going to a church that uh, kind of recognized the church calendar. Most of, you, most of you probably didn't, right? But you know, kind of famously going into Easter, uh, there's a season known as Lent, where we're fasting, we're giving up things for Lent. It's a season of, of fasting in preparation for Good Friday and for Easter. But then coming out of Easter, there's a season of feasting and delight and celebration and joy known as Easter Tide, where we remind ourselves every single week that Jesus is risen from the dead. Like our King lives. He, he lives. We have a risen, ruling, and reigning King. And as we're going to see today, not only does He live, but He's, he's active and He's present with us today. And so in this series, Citizens of the Gospel, what we've been doing as we kind of cast our mind to that, our, uh, that idea that, man, Jesus lives, we've been asking the question, what what are we supposed to do? As citizens of the gospel, the gospel being that Jesus became king, we're his citizens of this good news of the kingdom, right? What, what do we do? What, what is our role? And so we're looking back at the commandments and the calls and the commissions of Jesus and, and saying, saying, how do we live as citizens of this gospel, this new king, this new Kingdom, And so far we've looked at kind of the greatest commands and calls and commissions of Jesus. Things like meant to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything that we are, all the fibers of our being are to be devoted to loving our God rightly and justly. Right? That we would love our neighbor as ourself. 
We looked at that first great command to love. But we also looked at the commission to make to make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The, the commission to, uh, to teach, right, to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. But now we turn our attention to this command to abide. We are to be a people who abide in Christ. Citizens of the gospel are a people carefully cultivated and perfected by God for his glory as we abide in Christ. This is who we are. Right out of the gate, Jesus opens with this idea that God is cultivating and creating within us, producing within us this unbelievable supernatural fruit. In verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. Jesus, there's so many things in this world and so many things in this life that are going to pretend to be the source of life for you. So many things that are going to say, man, this is going to make you happy. This is going to bring you joy. This is going to bring you delight. This is going to bring you a sense of purpose and meaning and significance and fulfillment. Jesus, no, 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 no. I am the true vine, this vine of life. I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. Every branch, it's you and me, the citizens of the gospel, we're just the branches. Every branch in me that that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So we see this picture that as citizens of the gospel, we're people who are carefully cultivated and perfected by God for his glory as we abide in Christ. God is doing this work in us as we abide in Christ. And so what does it mean to abide. What does, that, what does that mean to abide in Christ? Um, theologian and pastor J.C. Ryle, who was, a, he was actually an Anglican bishop in the 1800s, said it this way about this text. He said, to abide in Christ means, here's what it means, to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with him. To be always leaning on him, resting on him. Pouring out our hearts to him and using him as our foundation of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. So there's this sense of nearness and closeness and relationship in here. But then he goes on to say this. He says, to have his word abiding in us is to keep his sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds. To make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. So it's kind of two buckets J.C. Ryle kind of pulls out of this text. The first is this bucket of kind of communion and nearness, right? And then the second is this, this bucket of kind of obedience and living the life that Jesus has called us to live. And so we're going to look at those two things this morning, but there's also one more that J.C. Ryle doesn't point out, in, at least in that quote, And that's the the, the bucket of joy. And we're going to look at that at the end this morning. So the first thing that I want you to see is this. Citizens of the gospel are near to Jesus. Right? We are called and commanded to be near Jesus. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. You can't get much more near than that. Right? To be in something, right? It, it, that's, that's about as near as it gets, right? Abide in me and I in you. The ultimate goal of every true Christian is to be continually attached to Jesus, in Jesus, all day, every 
day. And this king, our king, King Jesus, does not just invite us as citizens of the gospel into nearness and and intimacy, but he commands it. He commands us to abide in him and for him to abide in us. That, That should kind of blow our minds. Like that should cause us to stop for a second and realize that the king is demanding that we're with him. This is unlike any other king who has ever lived. Like, I don't know of any other king who's like, I want all of the people of my kingdom to like live in the palace with me. Like, that, that's not normal. That doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way, right? The king is like secluded from the people. The people live like in the village as like peasants. And they like pay their taxes and do all the things that peasants do that support the king. And the, the king is separated from them and lives in the, the palace and opulence. And there's a separation. There's walls and guards and things that pre- prevent them from interacting with each other. The peasants are not allowed to just come into the castle or come into the palace. and work that way. Right now, today, if you wanted to like go meet with the queen of England, you don't just like walk in. Like you're going to get shot if you do that. Like you, just can't, you can't do that. We don't have access to kings and queens in our culture today. But here we see this picture of a king saying, no, no, come and abide in me. What's more than that is that we're not just peasants in the village. We're we're far off, far, far worse than that. Um, I have a good friend uh, back in Chicago. Um, his name's Mike Rolfus. Um, my friend Lisa Bishop's here today. Uh, Lisa's from Chicago. Everybody say hi, Lisa. Uh, Lisa knows Mike well. Uh, Mike is an international man of mystery. Um, he's like the most interesting man maybe alive. And Lisa can vouch for everything I'm about to say to you because it's unbelievable, okay? Um, I, just, a, just a little picture of Mike. Um, in 2017, there was something that happened in Chicago that was the greatest event since the resurrection of Jesus. Anybody, anybody know what happened in Chicago? Yeah, the Cubs won the World Series. It's amazing. Um, in, in Game 4 of the World Series, there's a, there's a picture that went viral on the Internet. Of, of right behind home plate, front row behind home plate, there's a man sitting there dressed in a tuxedo. That man's Mike Rolfes. Mike is this kind of super, like, crazy, like, influential man. He's, like, rubbed shoulders with all these politicians and all these things in Chicago. And uh, when he was a young man, Mike was invited to go to the White House to have dinner with the president of the United States of America. And Mike went. He goes to the White House. He has dinner with the president of the United States. And I don't know what for. Like, he's, it's all a mystery to me. Like, he's, he's the craziest man. And so he's, he, as a young man, he's at the White House having dinner with the president. He's like, no one's ever going to believe this. Like, no one's going to believe that. I'm in the White House having dinner with the president. Like, this is incredible. And so Mike cooks up this idea in his head. He's like, man, I, I know how I'm going to get people to believe that I was here. I'm just going to take some of the silverware. And he does. He pockets the silverware off the table in the White House. Like, the White House, China, or silver, whatever. Like he puts it in his pocket. Mike doesn't realize that there's this thing called the Secret Service. And they're good at noticing things that you and I don't notice. And so, the, so Mike gets busted stealing silver from the White House. The whole thing, right? Capitol Police, Secret Service, they, they pull him out. And Mike is banned from the White House for the rest of his life. I'm not joking. Like there are people, he's super involved with all these politicians and things in Chicago. And they're like, hey, I'm going to the White House. You should come. Mike's like, 
I, I, I can't. I'm, I've got some things going on that day. I'm a little, a little busy. No, not today. not today. No, no, no. It's like dinner with the president. He's coming. It's like, oh, no. I'm good. Thanks. Right? Mike is never, ever again going to be allowed into the White House because he's crazy. Okay? But here's the thing. You and I didn't steal silverware from the king. You and I try to steal a throne from the king. You and I created the greatest act of treason ever, ever committed. We tried to steal the whole kingdom. We usurped his gracious and kind authority and said, I can do a better job than you. We tried to form our own kingdom and sit on the throne of that kingdom. And we've been doing a terrible job of that ever since. And even to this moment, we're still thinking that in some way, shape, or form, I can, I can do it better. I, I could actually be a better king. And, and I can do a better job. And I, I know what's good for me and what's bad for me. And I should be able to establish my own rule and reign and my own, my own rights and my own privileges. I actually know better than the king. And, and, and we can do a better job. We've committed the greatest act of treason in the history of the cosmos. And the, and the punishment for that is, is not to be separated outside living in the village. The punishment for that is death. That's, that's where we are. That's who we are. We will never be allowed into the courts of the king, let alone into the kingdom at all. And there's something in every single one of us that knows this. Like there's something in us that knows that I'm guilty. There's something that in us that knows I'm just not good enough to enter in. I'm not, I'm not worthy to enter in. And all the religions of the world know this, and they try to take advantage of that. They try to take advantage of this thing in us that says, you're not good enough. And so if, if you just do the right things, and the right things are give the right amount of money, listen to the leaders, obey and fall in line and do all the things, right, then maybe for a season you could, in, you could earn the title of worthy. Now, you might lose that title, so be careful. You don't want to lose it. But for a minute, God might view you as worthy. But we know, you know, that there's no way that that actually works. Like, you're not going to regain or re-earn your ability to come before the king just by giving money. You've tried to steal the kingdom. So we need the king to come to us. This is the beauty of this. Before Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, before he says that, he makes a clarifying statement. He wants you to grasp something. He wants you to know something. He says this. He says, already you are clean. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Then he says, abide in me and I in you. The call to nearness and intimacy is preceded by the means in which we are able to abide. Citizens of the gospel are made clean by the king. Then called to draw near. We're to take full advantage of this new access that was granted to us by his blood on the cross. Jesus goes to the cross. The king comes to us. He is born. He puts on flesh and dwells among us. He takes the the, the punishment for our treason, which is death, and he lays it on himself. 
He says, I'll die in your place. Yes, you deserve death because of your treason, but I'll take that death. And he imputes our sin, our brokenness, our treason onto himself. But that's not it. He then imputes his righteousness onto you. As citizens of the gospel, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Which is why we are now able to abide, to enter in, to draw near. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. It'll be up here on the screen. It reads this way. It says, Therefore, brothers, since you have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That's our confidence. Not not because you've given the right amount of money. Not because you you got yourself right, you got your life together. Not because you you wore the right clothes, you raised the right kids, or because you, you did whatever, you listened to the right leaders. No, by the blood of Jesus, that's our confidence. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the state of the citizens of the gospel. You didn't do any of those things. None of them. You didn't get your life together and then come to Jesus and he's like, oh, okay, now, now you can come in. No, no, no. He comes to us. He gives his life for us. He clothes us in his own righteousness. He cleanses us by his blood. He washes our sin and our transgressions and our treason away. This is our king. And he does so so that we might be a people who abide. And the sad truth is that so many people, so many, so many Christians, so many citizens of the gospel read their Bibles and attend church and maybe even serve and sign up for things like Bible adventure camp, which you should do. Those are great things. But they fail to simply be with Jesus. They fail to realize how unbelievably sweet and beautiful this access that we have is. They fail to see what, our, what lengths our king has gone to in order to invite us in. And how unbelievable life is when we experience abiding in Christ. I like how William Polson puts it. He says it this way. He says it's unlikely that there will be a deepening, that we will ever deepen. Sorry, I can read. I can read, I promise. It is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. You're not just going to wake up one day and stumble into abiding. Like you're not, it's not going not to happen. Are there certain things that we do have to do. There will be a need for some intentional commitment, some reorganization in our own lives. But, but, there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. In the routine of daily living. Right, it's not about, man, did, did I do all the right things today? Did I get all of my ducks in a row? It's about just living with him in the routine of daily living. And so are you seeking the presence of Jesus every day? I said earlier, the ultimate goal of every true Christian, every true citizen of the gospel, is to be 
continually attached to Jesus all day, every day. We used to pass out a book here at Flourishing Grace. Uh, We've passed out hundreds of copies uh, of this book called Practicing the Presence by Brother Lawrence. It's like a series of letters written by this uh, French monk um, who who kind of just developed this, this habit of constantly abiding in the presence of Jesus. Constantly, all day, every day, as he's going about the task of ordinary life, and he's abiding in Christ. And what he talks about is this idea of he he increases his awareness of Christ's constant presence. Christ is always present. He's always in us. He's always with us. But Brother Lawrence says, man, I have to increase my awareness of his presence. When I'm washing the dishes, when I'm taking my kids to school, when I'm going about my day at work, I need to be constantly increasing my awareness of his presence. There's so many ways that we can do this, right? We talked about this, uh, set, setting a, a, a reminder on our phone or on our watch every hour, just saying, hey, man, stop. Remember, Christ is with you right now. He is with you. He's, he is present. He's gone to great lengths so that you might be in him and he might be in you right now in this moment, throughout our day, constantly abiding in Christ. There's times and there's moments where we, can, we actually need to get away and, and retreat in order to increase our, our awareness of his presence. Every, every month here at Flourishing Grace, our staff are required, they're supposed to anyways, you can, you can call them out on this, they're required to take a day of just abiding, we call it a Jesus day, where they, they turn off their phone, they close their computer, they do zero work, okay, zero church ministry-related work, and it's also zero home-related work. You're not, a, you're not allowed to go, like, mow the yard or take your kids someplace. Like, that's, called, that's called the weekend, right? This is, a, this is an actual work day where you're just supposed to go just be with Jesus. Just increase your awareness of His presence and just abide, open your Bible, spend time in prayer, sit alone, be alone with Jesus. And many of you in the room are like, ah, that sounds nice. That ain't how my work works, all right? Uh, I got a real job. Sure you do. Um, listen, you also have what's known as vacation days, do you not? Oh, yeah, those precious times that you set aside for Disneyland and Mexico, which is amazing. You know, if you ever want to invite somebody, I'm in. But listen, you'll use it for Disneyland and Mexico, but you wouldn't take one to just be with Jesus? Just take a day off to just be still and be in the presence of God. Some of you are like, no, 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 just I'm a stay-at-home mom. I ain't got no vacation days, man. Like, what are you talking about, vacation? Like, no, I know. And it's hard when you got young kids to just find time to just be still with Jesus. But Jesus has gone to the cross. He's bled the ground red so that you might abide in him and him and you. You can't let any excuse stand in the way of that. And I know here at Flourishing Grace, we have, we have path groups, right? Most of you, many of you in the room are in a path group. These small little discipleship groups of two, three women, two, three, four men, right? Just in a little group. And I know if you call the people in your path group and say, man, I, I just need you to take my kids for an hour or two so I can just be with Jesus. Like, I guarantee you the response is, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And, and, and can I then give you a day to do that? Can I watch your kids for a day or even a few hours like, so that you can get away and do that? Like there is no real excuse. We make excuses, but none of them are real. None of them are genuine. We just got to be people who get with Jesus. We, we're invited. We're commanded 
to be with the King, to abide in Him. So I want to encourage you this week, maybe today, take a few hours to increase your awareness of His continual presence. And then to try to practice that all day. See how long you can go just aware of His continual presence. We're called, we're invited into, and we're called into intimacy and nearness with Jesus. Second thing is this. Citizens of the gospel are obedient to Jesus. Abiding is not simply just being with. There's There's an act of obedience that comes with abiding. Right? And we see, Jesus actually says this. I'm not making it up. He says it. He says this, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Right? So there's a condition on our abiding in his love. Now, is there a condition on Jesus' love for you? No, there's not. Je- Jesus loves you while you are still sinners. Christ died for you, right? There's, it's not, not a condition on his love, but there's a condition on our abiding in his love. Abiding in Christ is both restful and vigorous. It's not tedious, laborious work, but rather the sweet goodness of discovering who we are meant to be. We see that obedience to the commands of Jesus found in places like the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere are enable us to fulfill our God-ordained purposes as humans. This is not a burden, but a delight. When we actually follow the way of Jesus, we seek to become like Jesus. It's not a burden on us, but a delight. In Matthew 11, Jesus famously says, My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My, my way, my teaching, my yoke is easy. As we, as we as a church pull the kingdom of God into Davis County, pushing back the forces of darkness, right? Jesus says, man, that's easy. That's easy. What we see in, even in this, in this story, in this, in this illustration, is Jesus is the one, God's the one doing all the work. Right? God is this, is the, Jesus uses this kind of agrarian, agricultural image where God is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. And Jesus is the main vine uh, imparting the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of that Spirit to us, the branches. And we're just, we're just along for the ride. We're abiding in that. But there's a work involved in abiding. We must be a people who obey His commands. This is not a hard work, but it's the work of surrender. The work of surrender is the work of a citizen of the gospel. What, what is, this is kind of hard to understand. So maybe I can put it this way. In my house, in my little kingdom, known as the Knight household, uh, I got two little boys, uh, Winston and Haddon. Most of you know them. If you don't know them, you've heard them because they run around here screaming all the time. Uh, Winston and Haddon, um, my, my two little boys, uh, reside in, in this amazing, they abide with me. And I love my boys. And my wife loves our boys, and they abide with us in our house. And they've got it easy. Like, they've got a really, really, really easy existence. And, and if, for those of you who are parents uh, in the room, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, your kids have got it made. They just do. Like, they don't have to do anything. Like, they just they don't have to do anything. Right? Everything is provided for them. Everything's laid out. My wife is an amazing cook. Like, an amazing cook. And every day she is preparing for them above average, like amazing 
like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like every day they're eating just delicious, healthy food. Like you're not going to find like McDonald's for dinner at our house. It just doesn't, doesn't happen, right? She, she's a gourmet cook every night of the week. The whole space is just cr- created for them. There's rooms in my house just devoted to their toys. Like just for them. They can do whatever they want. Just go play. It's amazing. My wife's like the queen of fun. She's constantly thinking of fun things for them to do. And they don't, they're oblivious to like the bad things in our house. When something breaks, I'm like, hey, Winston, go fix that. No, I fix it. You know, they don't have to lift a finger. They just have to enjoy life. Just simply abide and enjoy it. But there's times, every now and then, like every five minutes, um, where they move into a little bit of disobedience where they begin to disrupt all of the effects of our love. And in their disobedience, when they don't get something that they want from their brother or something's not going exactly how they planned for it to be or they, they're getting like a little too crazy and like they, they begin to kind of take this space that is carefully curated for their like enrichment and goodness and delight and joy and they cast it into chaos and disorder and brokenness as they try to gain control of it all. Rather than just simply abiding, like they've got to be the one that's in control. They've got to be the one that dominates. And all of a sudden, like, do do I stop loving them? It's not your question. No, I I don't. But do they stop experiencing the full effect of my love? Yeah. Yeah, they've disrupted all of that. In the same way, all the time, like everything is cultivated for us. The Father, the vine dresser, Jesus, the vine, sending the Spirit to produce this supernatural fruit in our lives. It's amazing. It's amazing. And yet we, just like my eight-year-old and my four-year-old, right, are constantly disrupting that. Constantly trying to gain control. Constantly trying to, trying to be the one who's in charge of this thing. So we look at our lives and we look at the areas of our lives and we say, man, what area of my life am I not abiding in Christ? And I, it's easy. It's easy. Which area of your life has the most chaos, the most disruption, the most sorrow and brokenness? I'd be willing to bet that's the area that we are failing to abide in Christ. We're failing to simply be obedient to him. So how do we do this work of abiding? What does it look like to do the work of abiding? For over 2,000 years, the church has looked at the lifestyle of Jesus and the practices of Jesus, the way he lived his life. And we put these these practices around us, right? These things that are called spiritual disciplines or practices of Jesus. Things like silence and solitude and Sabbath, taking time with my family to, to Sabbath, to be still, to just simply abide. Fellowship and simplicity. Simplicity is a big one. We live unbelievably complex lives, like unbelievably full. Like every day there is something to do. Every night is full. Like our calendar, our house is packed. And if it's not packed, we're looking for a way to fill that time. So many of us, right, we get our kids engaged in like every activity, in every event that we can possibly get them engaged in. And there's like so many options now that were like weren't options when I was a kid, right? 
I just found out last week that the school that my kid goes to has a competitive ballroom dancing. When did ballroom dancing become competitive and how? I don't understand. I, don't, I can't wrap my mind around it, but maybe it is. Right? In my high school where I grew up, right, I found out that they, they now have competitive bass fishing as a high school sport. First of all, when does fishing become a sport? And second of all, like, when does that thing that is a high school sport? I don't understand. But we get our kids involved in all of this. Like so, it's like a smorgasbord of activities. And there's no simplicity in any of it, right? And so we feel like we've got to be at every single event and every single thing that they do, right? And if, we, if we're not there, they're going to think that we don't love them. Listen, if your kid's understanding of your love for them is conditioned upon you being at everything that they're at, there's a bigger problem at home. That's just for free. That's just like a side note this morning. Like that's, that's a bigger problem. It's just a bigger problem. We need to simplify our lives if we're going to be a people who abide in Christ. Simplicity, confession, fellowship, fasting, prayer. These are the things that cultivate a greater abiding, a greater resting in Christ. We must be a people who seek to live disciplined lives, lives that echo the way of Christ. We talk about this in our path groups all the time here at Flourishing Grace. Um, every path group that is formed here at Flourishing Grace is given a copy of The Common Rule, a book by Justin uh, Early. Um, and in that book, he talks about, man, how do we in kind of our modern day form our lives in a way that are radically obedient to the way of Jesus? We're forming our lives around the way of Jesus. This is what it looks like to abide, to simply abide in Christ. And this is where we find greater joy, which leads to the last thing that I want you to see this morning. Citizens of the gospel are joyful in Jesus. Joyful in Jesus. Right? All of Jesus' commands are for his glory and our joy. And he says it right here in this text. He says, by this my Father is glorified. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As you abide, the Spirit is producing the supernatural fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. At a supernatural level. And as the world sees that. Right? We are giving glory to the Father. We're saying, that's not of me, and that's of God. Right? And he's being glorified by that. And we're proved to be disciples of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And he says this, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. As we bear supernatural fruit by abiding in the vine, that is Jesus. The Father is glorified. He receives glory from our lives. When we abide in Christ and we see to it that he abides in us, his joy also abides in us and our joy becomes full. As citizens of the gospel, we have a king who delights in filling us with joy. Jesus wants you to be joyful He's gone to the cross so that his joy might be in you. So that the king could invite you into his courts. And in his presence, the psalmist tells us, in his presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He wants you to experience, to live in joy. Citizens of the gospel are citizens of joy. 
the great theologian A.W. Tozer, also from Chicago, put it this way. He said, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the wide world. People should be coming to us constantly asking the source of our joy and delight. When was the last time somebody came to you and said, man, where? Where do you get this joy? Where is that coming from? Those who abide in Christ have his joy abiding in them. The great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, put it this way. He said, those who are beloved of the Lord, citizens of the gospel, must be, they must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. Friends, I said last week, we're talking about zeal last week. And I said, I think in the past two years, we've just lost our zeal, right? We just kind of, we're in this place where it's kind of like, ugh, like everything's just, ugh. Um, and, and just, everything we've dealt with, with, with COVID and the effects of COVID and the elections and politicians and all these crazy things have just kind of zapped us. And we've, we're seeing in, in, in all of culture this great discontentedness. This great, like, everybody's quitting their job. Everybody's moving, like, we're talking about this earlier, like this exodus from California to Texas into Utah. Like, everybody in the room is, like, moving here from someplace, right? Just discontentedness and an anxiety and a stress. And last week I said, we're weary and tired. We've got to get our zeal back. But I also think that there's a, just a low-grade depression over us. Like, anybody a little bit more grumpy than they were in 2019? Slightly, <laughs> quick hands up. Awesome. Uh, I love the honesty. We just kind of, kind of lost our joy. And, and I just wonder, man, how many of us are trying to have maybe forgotten, and we're trying to refill that joy in like all the wrong places. Like maybe if I could just accomplish these things and get these things done, then I would be more joyful. Right, maybe if I own this thing, or I, I would be more joyful. Maybe if I could just get a house, right? Which you know in Utah is like this impossible thing right now. But if I could just have a house, then I would just have a space of my own, and I would be joyful, and I could just rest. But like, Jesus, no, 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 I am the true vine. I'm the vine. I'm the vine. Those things are not true vines. They're not going to actually provide you rest. They're not going to actually provide you joy. Like a temporary fleeting moment of like excitement. Yes, they will provide that for you. But the true vine is Jesus, our King, who has rescued and redeemed us and has commanded us to just simply abide in Him, to rest in the full effects of His love over us. we got to get our joy back. But we've got first, first we've got to stop chasing it in all the wrong places. Citizens of the gospel. And I know not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus. Not everybody in the room has given their life to Him. For those of you who have, your source of joy is the king of joy. It has to be. Infinite, indestructible joy is found in Jesus by simply abiding in the effects of his love. And we're commanded to do that for the glory of the Father and for your joy. And so let us get our joy back by learning and being obedient to the call to abide in Him. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we come before you. I pray that this morning you would fill the people in this room 
with joy that perhaps they have not felt in two years. Maybe joy they've never, they've never felt. They need to realize that our King lives. You, you, are, you are with us now. Would you increase our awareness of your constant presence? Would that fill us with joy? Would it fill us with confidence? Would we know that we can now enter in, that we can, that we can move towards you, that we can abide with you because of what you have done for us? The goodness of your grace and mercy, by the power of your blood, has washed us and cleansed us. We're people who are free to draw near, people who are free to abide in you as you abide in us. Would you create nearness and sweetness and goodness in our relationship with you? Would you help us by the power of your Spirit to be obedient? Not that we would white-knuckle this thing, but that we would simply abide, that we would be conformed to the way of Jesus. Would you do that work in us? And as the fruit of the Spirit is produced in our life, might we be a joyful people, the most joyful people on the face of the planet. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand, let's sing one last song together over one another as we leave this place this morning.